Maybe then you can see me and I can see you Maybe then we'll come together as a people Tired of the pain cause it ain't new Let's come together as a people Even if we don't share the same view Welcome to the Jesus and Everything Foundation podcast. On this show, we look at all problems affecting the world and we discuss how we can solve them using the character of Jesus, unity, and decentralization of resources available to us. The character of Jesus, or as I like to call them, the Jesus character principles, are principles that whether you are a Christian or not, we can all agree on these principles. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. For every episode, we discuss a problem topic from our category list. You can find this list on the Foundation's website, jaef.foundation. We ask ourselves and listeners, what is the goal? What is the vision for this problem category? What are the potential solutions? What are the obstacles? What resources do we need? And what resources do we have? But most importantly, do these solutions and resources pass the character test, the nine Jesus character principles? If yes, then we move on to collaboration. What does this look like? This show is a platform to get the ball rolling on as many problems affecting the world as we can. We want to go beyond just talking about problems. So after the show, we collaborate by acting. First, we open the discussion floor to our listeners. Then we decentralize and open source all of our resources from brain power, manpower, utilities to capital. Before every episode, I like to ask our viewers and listeners, do you ever ask yourself, where are we going? Where is this world going? Time keeps on ticking, the day ends, a new dawn arises, and life goes on. But what is our destination? Do we have any global objectives that unite us when it comes to things like food, security, healthcare, education, or standard of living? It's a fair question to ask. If you work for a company or work for yourself, you have a general idea about your company's vision. Goal. So what is our goal, our overarching vision as the current residents of this planet? What role is your company, your city, your country playing in the big picture? And what role are you who's listening to this playing in this big picture?
Welcome to this segment of Real Life Stories. It's under our spiritual category. You can find the full list of topics we shall cover under this category on our website, jf.foundation. That is jaef.foundation. This is a story about a man called Noel who has beaten all the odds of generational curses that were stacked against him before he was born. This story is something we can all learn from that our actions, which become our habits, can be passed down to our children. You don't have to give birth to the next Noel. You can learn from his past. You see, Noel didn't have a choice in what kind of hand he would play with after he was born. He was born into a drug-dealing family. His grandfather was a kingpin, dealing in marijuana and cocaine from Jamaica to Florida. Before Noel was born, and unbeknownst to his mother, the spirituality she explored before Noel's birth invoked demonic spirits. She ignorantly opened herself up to the demonic realm and to witchcraft. The odds were stacked against him even before he had started. From his childhood to his late 20s, Noel had to deal with living in unstable homes as a child, several stepfathers, nightmares, demonic attacks, and so much paranormal activity. And this was just the beginning. His childhood trauma cascaded into teenage addictions from sex, pornography, alcohol, marijuana, cocaine, ecstasy, and anything else he could land his hands on, not to mention a couple of out-of-body experiences. In moments of despair, he would always cry out to the God of the Bible, whom he had never really known about. He was only tagging on the memory of the Lord's Prayer that his grandmother had taught him as a child and his few attendances to Catholic Church as a child. Fast forward, Noel shares a unique memory after he had started reading the Bible, specifically the Gospels of Jesus Christ. He couldn't stop reading the Gospels in fact, in one incident, Noel was out on a boat, snorting as much cocaine as he could with a friend, but all he did was talk about this guy called Jesus that he had been reading about in the Bible. Eventually, and inevitably, these truths of Jesus Christ took root in Noel's heart, and he was delivered from all his addictions, his cursed inception, and his haunted past. Noel now lives his life as a living testimony. While he is up wiring complex buildings around town, he shares the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who feel lost. Coming up on our next episode. So this Persian man and my mother got married. My mother became pregnant and I started to witness um, him abuse my mom and beat her up while my mom was like eight months pregnant. Like she had a huge stomach and I remember seeing her get beat up with my brother in her stomach at eight months. Like I thought I was like seven years old at this time. And what like actual physical? Physically, like I saw my mom get, get absolutely wrecked when I was seven years old. Like I saw it with my own eyes. I, didn't, I was just in shock. I didn't even know what to do. I do remember um, in those, in the, the, the desperate moments of my childhood and through my teens and even my twenties, I would pray 
to the God of the Bible. But you, you weren't a Christian. I was not a Christian. I was not a, I didn't even consider myself a Catholic. I just, I did believe in, in a God. I did believe, and I, I believed in calling out to this God. Hmm. I believed deep down that prayer would be answered in a way. This is episode two of Noel's story, and we're picking up right from where the last episode ended. Um, so you're having all these experiences. Yeah, and, you have a young age. At a young age, and basically now we know that your mom was had sowed seeds and opened herself up. Yeah, and... definitely, definitely. And um, at this point, like, you know, it, even though I had these experiences and they were kind of traumatic, like, they, for some reason, like, I brushed them off. I was young, you know, mm. I was very adventurous and um, I didn't like it didn't weigh on me those those dreams too much. But I, it, it stuck with me, but it didn't like hold me down. Like I moved I moved along. Um, and then after my grandfather went to jail and got released, like obviously our whole family started to crumble, like financially. Uh, we went from a life of like abundance to a life of like financially struggling quite quickly. And my mom ended up marrying a per a man from Iran who was a like he was a soldier and he was captured he was like a um, soldier of war uh, and he was captured by the enemy and he was actually tortured so he had a lot a lot of trauma and um, he seemed like a wonderful man uh, at first and then he started uh, smoking crack um, and he he kind of got into drug dealing through connections that my grandfather had, unfortunately, and he, he went south quite quick. Um, on top of his like trauma from war, he started getting into drugs. And it was my grandfather's fault um, for, for linking him into that life. Um, and so my mother actually got pregnant from him. They actually get they got married. So this Persian man and my mother got married. My mother became pregnant. And I started to witness um, him abuse my mom and beat her up while my mom was like eight months pregnant. Like she had a huge stomach. And I remember seeing her get beat up with my brother in her stomach at eight months. Like I thought I was like seven years old at this time. And what like actual physical? Physically, like I saw my mom get, get absolutely wrecked when I was seven years old. Like I saw it with my own eyes. I, didn't, I was just in shock. I didn't even know what to do. Oh, and um, so like my mom, like her, she just, she wasn't able to make the right decisions, right? And I'm, I'm not trying to blame her or like put her down. Like I love my mom and she's like a warrior. She's been through a lot. Like, I don't know how she's still alive. Um, but yeah, she, so 
it just was like kind of one thing to another. And then my, my brother was born and, um, my, his dad ended up getting deported not long after he was born, about a year and a half after he was born, he ended up getting deported, sent back to Iran for the things he was doing. And, uh, so this was, you know, in, into my childhood, um, my mom kind of started, you know, she was dating different men and after this and we started growing up and there was some normalcy in our lives, uh, my brother and I. The thing, the good thing was by God's grace, even though our grandfather was a little bit messed up, there was still, you know, stability in him and my grandmother and my two aunts. And every time my mom, she, she would, she would make bad decisions and, and we would be struggling, but my grandparents and my aunts would step in and take care of us. Um, kind of like look after us when my mom would fail, when she would drop the ball, which was too much. Unfortunately, she was unstable. Um, and I don't believe it was all her fault. I, I do believe a lot of it was childhood trauma from her own past and, and spiritual attack from opening these doors and so the childhood was rocky, you know, she, she chose men that almost reflected her father in a way, my grandfather. Um, it's, man, there's so much to say here, but it's, there is, there is it's, a lot. It's, 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 it's crushing. Well, it's, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm listening to this and I'm, I'm crying internally. I, I know that you, you you are one of so many that deals with this and Yeah, there's a lot and, of and people. There's a part of me that just wishes that just from hearing your story that just out there that there will not be any other child just to even deal with half of this. I mean you can see mm. Havok just cascading through generations. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Generational curses. Generational curses oh, yeah. just, just being stacked up. And mm -hmm. and it's it's one of those things where, like, without the power of God, without some level of intervention from, some people might call it a higher power or whatever, but, you know, both of us believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So... Mm -hmm. I can't even imagine the amount of oppression that is happening right now to so many young children who are being born into this world into such brokenness. It is just crashing. I mean, this is, this is, you know, people look at, you know, we look at people, let's say in some unfortunate countries who were born in these hunger and starvation, but this is probably worse than that. This is, well, yeah, I don't know. I can't speak for them. Um, all I know is there's a lot of pain and suffering in the world. And uh, the interesting thing that I do remember is, you know, that Lord's Prayer that, you know, there were there were moments where I would go to church, uh, you know, a Catholic mass with my grandmother, and it was all for show. I don't really think they you know, there was no following scripture. There was no living holy. There was no ever. It was all free game. But they would go to mass. There were like Sunday 
sometimes it was like a Sunday morning Christian or Catholic thing to do. And I would go to church with my grandmother and, you know, we'd go for Easter and we'd go for Christmas. There was a period of my life where that was somewhat consistent, but it was never ingrained as like, this is the way. Um, it was just something we did and I just, it kind of got accustomed to it for a little while. And, um, but the Lord, I do remember um, in those, in the, the, the desperate moments of my childhood and through my teens and even my 20s, I would pray to the God of the Bible. But you, you weren't a Christian. I was not a Christian. I was not. A, I didn't even consider myself a Catholic. I just I did believe in, in a God. I did believe and I I believed in calling out to this God. Hmm. I believed deep down that prayer would be answered in a way uh, it, out of desperation. Yes. Um, and I was, every time I would call out to God, it would be out of desperation and it happened. I would do it periodically throughout my entire life until I became a born again Christian. Uh, and I, and I remember that there were moments where things were going somewhat well. And I would think about this God at night and think, man, I, I kind of want to pray. I feel like I should pray, but I, I wouldn't I, like doing a, t a 15, 20 second Lord's prayer seemed like work to me. <laughs> it did. It, it, when I wasn't desperate enough, it seemed like work. And I, w I, w I remember not doing it. And I remember thinking to myself, like, I, I, I feel guilty. I remember moments where I'm like, man, I, I feel kind of guilty. Hmm. Um, so there was this weird understanding that I had. Yet it wasn't like solidified in anything. It was just, I, I just kind of knew. Um, yeah, so after I guess my my stepdad got deported, my it was just me, my brother, and my mom. And when things kind of hit the fan, my my aunts and my grandparents would step in, like I said. And as I got older, through my teens, my mom met another man who was a, like an East Van kind of like how would I put it? Kind of like an East gang, an East Vancouver. I don't know, like gangster. almost like a gangster biker, but not. Oh, okay. Right. Like he was friends with gangster bikers and he was friends with like the Italians. He was friend. He was a Croatian man and he, he grew up in a very severe way and, and had a lot of trauma from childhood. And he was like a six foot five, like, like brawler, like heavy hitter. Like he was known in East Van to not be reckoned with. <laughs> and he, you know, for the most part, he was quite kind with us. And he came into the picture when I was in grade seven. And um, things were kind of okay for a while. You know, he, he actually loved us. And he, um, he seemed like a man that would protect me. Um, and he was quite kind to my mom. And he was funny. But he did have friends that were sketchy. And they would come over and at this point, you know, things were okay still though. And, but then we moved to East Van, we moved out of North Van to East Van, and then we moved into his inner circle. Like we were now moving into his territory and, and then drugs started coming into the house and men would, that were involved in, in bad, nefarious lifestyle would, you know, would come in and, and start tainting the environment. And tainting my mom and drugs, you know, my mom started using a little bit and, and, um, 
so my early teens um, were heavily corrupt, started becoming corrupted and, and destabilized. And I remember going from like being someone who could like do their homework and get school assignments done to someone who was like, man, I, I can't focus at high school. I don't give a damn about homework. And I started like doing really poor in school and just getting by. And at this point, I'm in grade nine and things are just really bad at home. Like there's a lot of fighting. There's a lot of yelling. There's a lot of depression. My mom is like sleeping in a lot. Things aren't getting done around the house. It's just turning into a mess really quickly. Um, and was, I re- was there any physical abuse? Yeah, um, from from this guy? Uh, there, there was more at this point verbal. Verbal abuse. And it was scary though. This man was a big man. Like his his arms were like I'm telling you. Like if you this man was hit with a baseball bat over the head, nothing happened to him. Like <laughs> like that's that's the kind of man that this guy was. Like he was a serious like East Block heavy hitter. Like from Eastern Europe, like he was a, a, oh. nut, a nut job. Oh, they, right? they, he, they they can be some big dudes. Oh yeah, like trust me when I say he was he would, had a reputation to not be reckoned with in East Van. I mean it. Like he would, people were scared of him. <laughs> people were scared of him. That's the kind of person that uh, six cop cars have to show up. Yeah, to... yeah, no, 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 no joke. There were times like that, um, and uh, so yeah, so. I'm in my teens and I'm just, I'm starting to um, go downhill. Mm. And I ended up removing myself from my home. Uh, I kicked myself out <laughs> and moved in with my aunt. And I kind of feel really guilty uh, because I left my brother behind, my brother Zach. He was seven years younger than me. And uh, like, but I just, I was desperate. I just needed to get out of that house. Mm. And I ended up moving in with my aunt who lived in North Van, who was well off. She had a successful husband, like dream life, you know, she had that dream life and she lived close to my high school that I was going to. Yeah. Stable job, stable family. Oh yeah. Like, like very well off. And I was like, yeah, like I'm, I'm moving in here. My life is going to be better. And I kind of just forgot about my mom for a while, forgot about Dan, her, her, her boyfriend. And I kind of just like forgot about my brother, Zach. I just, I just needed to get away from that. And, um, and so I lived with my aunt for about a year and a half. And then she ended up kicking me out because I was smoking weed and starting to party. And I was just kind of, you know, just kind of average teenager stuff. And she just didn't like me bringing that stuff around the house. And she was kind of strict and in that way. And she ended up booting me out back home. And I remember being hyper depressed. Like I remember like thinking to myself, I'm going back there after living here for a year and a half I've got to go back to that hellhole and I was wrecked like I was bawling my eyes out it was like one of the worst days of my life I remember like going to this like I don't know this depressing like two-bedroom apartment like in Burnaby from like a home like in the beautiful woods in North Vancouver and it was just it crushed me I just felt this vibe this dirty East Van like ghetto grungy drug dealing vibe that I had to like now like assimilate to Mm. and uh, it was it was rough and you know I had to deal with it it was very depressing I smoked a lot of weed to, to, to help me with it to help me deal with it I smoked as much weed as I possibly could and there was a lot of weed around the house I had like unlimited amounts of weed so 
was this weed from your from my mom's boyfriend yeah the same man yeah, yeah so he just would, always had it around yeah. yeah would you would he just offer you would you need to it was ask just there or... i was just like yeah i was going hey man like can i roll one up he's like yeah here you go just there there was always like a bag of it how old were you this time i was in grade 10 so grade 10 you'd be about 12 no no grade 10 about 15 yeah 15 15 yeah. years old um and the whole time I was with my aunt, you know, I, I worked at McDonald's and I saved up three grand. I was like, man, I'm going to, I'm going to buy, I really wanted a Honda Prelude. You know, I'm going to buy my first car. I saved up three grand in a year and a half making six fifty an hour at McDonald's. So I was like, you know, I was capable of some responsibility. And as soon as I moved in with, with my mom again at 15, as soon as I got kicked out of, out of my aunt's, I, I, you know, I started just, yeah, there was so much just. This um this um destabilization there like I did not have structure and I remember being 15 years old turning 16 in a week and I remember starting studying for my L because I wanted to use that money to buy a car yeah and I was turning 16 at that point I could have gotten my license and I could have I could have bought a car then I was gonna get my car and there was a man that came over um he was like a Croatian gangster. Uh, like very good looking man, good, like ladies, man had the cars, you know, he came over and I was home alone. And he's like, like, where, where's your mom? Where's dad? And I said, they're not home. And he was nice to me. He wasn't someone I was scared of, but I knew he was a serious hitter. And I, I just said, you know, I'm studying for my L. He's like, what are you doing? And I had, I had the book open. I'm studying for my license. And he said, I'll take you, I'll take you driving right now. I just bought a new SUV. And so I went driving with him and I ended up totaling his car. I ended up totaling his car. I, I, I hit a parked car, actually. It's an embarrassing story. Uh, the, the, his SUV was so powerful and I wasn't used to how it, it was my first time driving. And it was such a powerful vehicle and I ended up losing control. I hit a parked car and he told me to step on the gas. He's like, just get out of here. Like it was, it all happened so fast. And I stepped on the gas and I, I lost control, uh, hit a stop sign. The stop sign came right out of the ground, like embedded into the engine. And then he looks at me and he, he's like, he looks at me and he, he says, we're going to have to switch seats. Right. And so that it looks like I was driving and there were so many witnesses on the street that saw this happen. I'm surprised I didn't hit any kids. There were so many kids on the street. It was insane. Um, and he's the one of the, I remember specifically, you know, he said, is there any white in my nose? And I said, no. And he's like, he breathed in my face and he said, do you smell alcohol? And I said, yes. He's like, switch seats. I don't care. He's like, just, and we swapped seats. The cops came and we lied through our teeth. And somehow we got away with the cops believing with all these witnesses that somehow didn't see me in the car. They, we got away with the cops believing that he was the one that was driving. And I ended up costing him $30,000 that day. And he did nothing. He, he did nothing. He took ownership. He's like, it's my fault for letting you drive. I was a little scared because I knew he was a, a, quite a serious guy. And I thought, you know, yeah, like, I thought I was going to have to pay for it somehow. For him or, you know, he was going to, you know, he's going to say, kid, now you got to come push, push some weight. Yeah. I, yeah. I was a little, I was a little freaked out. Um, so, you know, there was God's grace working in that area. 
But after that, like my desire to drive, my desire to buy a car, like my desire even to get a license just plummeted. I did not care for it. So that three grand that I had saved up for my car, gone. Like I just spent it on alcohol and drugs. Um, and at that point, you know, I'm now going into grade 11. All this has happened. I, I changed schools to a school in Burnaby. And that was like one of the worst things that could have happened for me um, in hindsight. I, or at the time, that's what it felt like. And because like that school was bad. Like, like I got involved because of like who my mom's boyfriend was friends with. And how it, those friends somehow linked with the people that I met at Alpha. Like, you know, he knew their some of their parents. And, and just the kind of people I was surrounded with. I got into like a kind of a gang, like hoodlum, thievery, like group of people. At yeah. Alpha in Burnaby, this new high school that I was going to. And I just started skipping class. I started, I, I was super depressed at Alpha. Like I just did not have like a connection with anybody there. And my my way to have connection was to connect myself with the bad kids yeah the kids who would they were carrying machetes to school bear mace tasers um they were they were kid the kind of people that would jump other people and like rob people and sell drugs and coke and stuff like that so they were they were not a good group of people so i i but for some reason they liked me and i felt kind of um, like I belonged like I because I did not get along with the, the preppy kids the, the athletes I just there was no connection yeah with those kids and it was the, it was strange that it was the the ones I would I thought that I would be nervous to be around or the ones I felt safe around the ones that I actually like got along with and a lot of it had to do with because of how I was growing up with my mom and Dan so and her, her boyfriend it's it's really interesting because your mom kind of gets into this roller coaster of uh, exposing herself to to these spirits, and you're not yet even born, and somehow that curse, those curses, now are passed on to you, mm -hmm. and so now you you grow up in this toxic environment. I mean, drugs and and all the dysfunction that you can think of, and so you, you almost now have a new aura around you. To the point whereby you go to a new school and that's who who are becoming yeah yeah who who is attracted you know who 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 you are attracted to yeah you know the people that exactly you, that you want to be around yeah that's exactly it i became a product of my environment yeah i always knew those things were wrong and um but i was just becoming a product of my environment i was defiling my conscience and um yeah, so at that, now we're getting to the end of my high school career and my mom at that point has actually had another kid with Dan. Um, I have another brother at that point. And uh, near the end of my high school career, she ended up having a, a daughter. Oh, okay. And it's interesting when, when I found out that she was pregnant again. So now there's three boys. And, and yeah, and, 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 a, and a, a daughter coming. Okay. And it was interesting. My mom didn't know she was pregnant for six months. For some, somehow my mom had no idea she was pregnant for six months. That's how out of the, like mentally out of the loop she must have been. I don't know how it's possible. Like you would notice not having a period. 
I, six months. For six months. I kid you not. It was like she would. I remember the day she was in shock. She was six months pregnant. And I was blown away. But here's a weird thing. Immediately I felt in my spirit, I need to start praying. Oh. I need to start praying. There's something wrong with this child. There's something wrong. And I would, I actually, at that point, I had never had prayed so much about one issue in my life. Um, I just knew I needed to pray to the God of the Bible and to ask for protection for this child. I did not, I just felt something wrong with, with this child. And it turns out that um, when my mom, when, when she moved along into the pregnancy, she found out that she actually had twins. And one of them died in the womb and the other one lived. And I kept praying until she was born and she was born fine. She was born with no issues, but I, but one of the twins died. Maybe both of them would have died. I don't know, but I just knew when I found out that my mom was pregnant, I'm like, I need to, I, for some reason, like I just felt this pressure. I'm like, I need to pray. If I don't pray, I'm going to feel guilt for the rest of my life. So this is very interesting. I've actually never heard of this. So, um, twins, one of them died one in of them the died womb. In the womb. So when the girl comes out, was there like a? a, a I don't. I don't know uh, those those details. Like at that point, like I, I was kind of disgusted at my mom in many ways. I just, I just, I kind of wanted her away. From, like. Wanted to keep the distance from my mom and this man that she was with, so those I'm not sure exactly what happened in that in that sense, but I know for sure that there was a twin that died, and um, yeah, Emily was okay though. She was a very like wonderful little girl, very very gifted. She became a very gifted girl. It it was like all the intelligence of the twin like got absorbed into her. Got absorbed into her. Yeah, it was. Oh man, there's so much, so much to tell. Um, so yeah, about Emily, about Emily, yeah, like in the spiritual demonic things started happening to her too when she was young. Very, very creepy things. Like, Similar stories uh, to you, worse, but connected. Um, yeah. So oh man, now we're getting into late teens, and at this point. The, ab- the abuse has now gotten to such a high level with Dan and my mom. Like they're not married on, they're married on paper, but they never had a ceremony. They're common law, right? And he, they're getting into more drugs and more abuse and it's starting to get physical. And I'm always out of the house at this point. Like I'm in my late teens. Like I'm, ma- I'm like with friends, like oh, every second I possibly could. I was like, I need to just. I was always sleeping over at somebody's house as, mm. mu- as much as I could. I ended up dropping out of high school three months before I graduated. I just, I bailed out. Couldn't, I couldn't focus. Um, yeah. So at this point, you know, uh, late teens abuse, my mom ends up leaving him and she has to go to a safe house. She literally had to go to like a woman's like, secret safe house in North End that I couldn't even know the location of. I wasn't even allowed to go there Hmm. because the women that were in this safe house, because I was a a teenager over the age of like 16, me just being in their presence 
could trigger mental trauma for them because of the men that have abused them. So I wasn't even allowed to go see my mom. Wow. I had to, she used to sometimes come out of the safe house. My brother and my, my two brothers and my sis, my sister were there, but cause they were young enough, but me, no. So like I was quite displaced and you know, during this whole time, like my father in Jamaica, like I still had a very good connection with him. I would go and see him, uh, like periodically, like every summer for, for, you know, a series of years. So like there was a relationship, a good relationship that I had with him in a way, but at the same time, I kept a lot of this from him. It was kept from him and, and I didn't want him to know. Um, and I'm sure, I'm sure he, he did know a bit of it because my grandfather would, would have told him like some of the details, but for the most part, like there was this weird, like separation of knowledge between my dad and what was kind of truly happening to me to a degree. Like he didn't really understand the full scope of what was going on. The, the full scope of my uh, issue, but he was always there for me in a way as well. And, and I haven't really delved into that. Um, there's just so much detail that I would have to go into to explain that part of my, uh, me and my dad and, and, and what was going on there. But when my mom went into the safe house, I essentially didn't want to, I, I didn't really have a, a comfortable premise to go and, and live with my grandparents and my aunts. And I kind of just was like a floater floating from place to place for a while, like living on people's couches, living in people's homes that I was friends with. And there was just like, yeah, I was like kind of like a nomad, like couch surfer at like 18, 19 years old. Um, I had a lot of friends, you know, I had a lot of friends that would give me the shirt off their back. Oh. Uh, uh, so there was, there was a lot of, I had like brotherly brotherhood friendships with people. I was very loyal to them and they were very loyal to me. And, uh, that really, those relationships were, were used by God to sustain me. And, uh, I still love all those people very much. Um, but yeah, so I, that was kind of my life for a little while. I do want to back up a little bit though, and explain something that, that was really important that happened to me in grade 11 before my mom went to the safe house. I, I had been skipping school so much. I skipped English class for a month and I had this inclination one day. I just felt it in my spirit, go to English, go to English. And in my heart, I was like, man, I don't want to go to English. I haven't been there for a month. It's going to be hella embarrassing. And so I went to English class. I just, I, 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 I worked up the nerve to go and I sat down and there was a woman there giving a presentation about secondary school apprenticeships and how that I could start a trade. Yeah. And get a head start in, in trade. So, uh, and I would start that trade in grade 12 and it would take off uh, half my workload. I would get paid during school hours. I would get a head start in my apprenticeship and, um, it would work towards credits to my graduation. And I, I was shocked when I walked into that classroom, every single person looked at me and like, they're, I could feel them in their heart going, why is he, why are you even here? You haven't been here for a month. But that day I walked in, I had the presentation for secondary school apprenticeship. I ran to the office after that class ended and I was the first person to sign up and I got enrolled uh, as a first year apprentice next year in grade 12, which ended up becoming my career. I'm an electrician today because of that day, because something in my heart said, go to English today. Go and to that English today. And that if I today. did not go to English class that day, I do not know 
what I would be doing with my life. Hold the thought. We'll be right back. Amen. This was episode two of Noel's testimony and life story. In the next episode, Noel will dive deeper into how his life got even worse as he transitioned out of high school, his family's nomadic lifestyle, the haunting nightmares in his teens, and the paranormal activity in the houses that they lived in, coupled with demonic attacks and out-of-body experiences. Your host for today was Calvin Cavanda. Thanks for listening and see you on the next episode. Drown in the 